Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. Hello and welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR 855am, 3CR Digital Radio and 3cr.org.au. My name is Rachel and today from the Brainwaves team, we have Susie and Caitlin. Sleep Awareness Week is happening from the 1st of October until the 7th and this week on the show, we have Dr. Moira Jung from the Sleep Health Foundation. Thank you for joining us. Um, Could you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes, um, my name's Dr. Moira Junger. And I'm a, I'm a health psychologist and I'm on the board of the Sleep Health Foundation. That's, that's my capacity today, talking on behalf of the Sleep Health Foundation, which is a, a not-for-profit organisation you know, aimed at increasing the, the awareness of the importance of sleep. Right. What is Sleep Awareness Week and uh, what does it aim to achieve? Well, we have Sleep Awareness Week uh, every year. It's been going on for a lot of years now, I'm not sure how many. Um, and it's an international thing, but every country chooses their own date. Um, so we're, we're choosing the 1st of October till the 7th um, to coincide with the start of Daylight Savings too, which is overnight on the, you know, that, that last weekend um, of the early of the 6th, 7th of October. So with Sleep Awareness Week, we're just, we're really hoping just to increase awareness about sleep, get the more conversations going about the importance of sleep. Yeah. Um, this and we, we choose a different theme every year, and this year we're concentrating on um, looking at the. We're quite cons- getting concerned about the increases in caffeine usage okay. in Australia, yeah. uh, and looking at whether potentially, which is an angle we haven't looked at much, but we're launching some new research soon as well, looking into the fact that I mean, ca- ca- caffeine's lovely, and people you don't you want to do want to alarm too many people, but if <laughs> if <laughs> but just Occasionally, there might there might be some people who are really super sleepy, and the caffeine might be masking a sleep disorder. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so just looking, I guess, just raising the awareness of that and the possibilities of that, and people starting to identify like how much of it's just habit, how much of it's just I just love it, or how much of it might be, you know, you know, thinking I, I'm just so sleepy. Mm-hmm. I, I'm so maybe looking at the other end, looking at the sleep quality, the yeah. quality and the quantity of sleep. Yeah, that's great. Hmm. Um, Moira, what does a good night's sleep look like? Yeah, it looks like different things to different people. Like some, we, I think, in essence, it's well for adults, for instance, um, between seven to nine hours is what a good amount of sleep looks like. Um, and that, but within that, there's very, a lot of individual variation. That some people feel like they need a bit more than that, um, even up to say. 10 hours or so and some people feel that 6 or 7 is perfectly fine for them. So there is this bit of a bell curve like um, between 6 and 10 hours that's considered fairly normal but with the average being more 7 to 8. Um, and I think what it looks like is that people are able to get the amount of sleep that they've got the opportunity to get. So 
if some people are curtailing their sleep and not getting enough, but it's there's sort of a lifestyle choice or or related to work pressures or related to children or those sorts of things. But if we do have adequate opportunity for sleep and we're not being able to get it or um, we do get to sleep and feel dreadful the next day, still feel like we've been run over by a truck, then that's we, we, it's indicative of not, not good sleep and not enough sleep. So oh. it's very very subjective. It's really our subjective experience and, and how we cope with our roles the next day or, or all the time really within um, looking at whether... People, all, your listeners would all know for them, like roughly, we all kind of have a bit of a sense of what we feel like on six hours, what we feel like on eight hours whether we would even be able to get 10 hours plus, etc. So there's a bit of a, um, a sliding scale that we can sometimes be a little bit in a bit of a sleep debt due to social functions or young babies or animals or work pressures. But then we might be able to catch up and normalise by the end of the week and pay back a little bit of sleep debt when we can. So, yeah, I think the problem with um, inadequate sleep in Australia at the moment, it's, it's, we see it as a bit of an, an epidemic. Our research from last year showed that 40% of Australians indicated that they weren't getting enough sleep. They were getting inadequate sleep for them, like less than they were trying, that they wanted to get more. Um, and certainly a lot of them were well, well less than seven hours sleep. <clears throat> and 20% or half of that, um, so half of those 40% were saying it was because they just yeah they just couldn't get it from lifestyle factors, but the other half were due to a sleep disorder. That so they just they just it, they they knew the importance of sleep and they tried to get good sleep, but they had either an insomnia or a sleep disordered breathing type condition, and they just they weren't getting enough. So I guess that's one of the main reasons of Sleep Awareness Week is just being able to have the conversations and for people listening and and conversations around the the, the home table and the workplace tables. To start thinking about maybe there is something I could do about it. Maybe you know I might seek some medical attention, need some mm. support. I might talk to someone and get my sleep checked out. Right, right, okay. So that's kind of I guess you'd say like what a good night looks like, what a bad night looks like. But what constitutes yeah. a sleep disorder, and uh, what are the common sleep disorders? Yeah, the common, the most common sleep disorder is insomnia, um, which is either trouble getting to sleep or trouble staying asleep. Or trouble, you know, waking up um, too early. Yeah. Or, or it could be all three of those. Um, so that's insomnia. And we think about 30% of the population on any one night have that. But the, about 10% of those people, it's so bad or, you know, that they end up having to, they can't, it doesn't sort of correct itself. They end up having to have some tr- treatment for it or, or and or medication. Um, the, the other common sleep disorder is uh, obstructive sleep apnea which is a really reasonably common condition that affects males and females, mostly males, okay. um, <clears throat> where in which the person uh, has these periodic uh, absences of breathing, so hence the word apnea. And people will know that like, somewhat often they're a snorer. There's some people who are snorers who don't have sleep apnea, but nearly every person who has sleep apnea is also a snorer. So often there's these gasping sort of periods through the night of a... You know, a ch- and then there's a period of absence of breathing, maybe 20 seconds or sometimes less or more. And then when the person is breathing again, when they start to rebreathe, there's a lot of choking sort of noises and shortling sort of noises. Mm. So that if that happens periodically throughout the night, so um, all of us do a little bit of that, like up to five times an hour is considered normal. And between five and 15 is sort of mild to moderate. And then 
onwards, upwards, etc. Often people who are in the severe category are over, say, 25 times per hour having these episodes. And so that you can imagine the next day the person's really, really tired, yeah, excessively sleepy. Yeah, so a lot of, most people don't know they have sleep apnea until they have a bed partner or they're sharing a room on a work trip or something like that that they didn't realise they had it. So the, one of the most important or the, the biggest telltale sign of someone who has sleep apnea is excessive daytime sleepiness. So really, really sleepy, like feeling like, I mean, we all might fall asleep in a meeting in the afternoon or something like that, but not falling asleep unintentionally and, and quite and just irresistible urges to fall asleep. So it's a really excessive sleepiness. Just despite adequate sleep, like these people often are sleeping, they say, look, I sleep from, I go to bed at 10, I'm asleep straight away and I'm up at 6.30. So you would have thought I have plenty of sleep. But to have a excessive daytime sleepiness and often wake up with a dry mouth or a morning headache. Oh, okay. So kind of those are the yeah, they're the yeah. sort of telltale signs. And that and that, also that person might be at greater risk of having this caffeine masking that we've been that we might be a bit worried about. Thinking that if they they might start, they just live off their you know caffeinated drinks to, to keep them awake during the day, and then just repeat the cycle again, crash out into bed. So that and another another very common sleep disorder is um, it's known that well the daytime manifestation of it is restless leg syndrome um, and the nighttime manifestation of it is when someone's asleep it's called periodic limb movements in sleep so someone might have these um, I actually have a, a bit of this I'm, I'm told mm. um, where my just every periodically quite systematically my lower leg my my, my legs just sort of flick up and down. And then another time, flick up and down. It's sort of a neurological thing that happens in sleep very commonly. And it disturbs, it sort of looks fairly benign. Um, and the person remains asleep, but the sleep quality is impaired. So you can feel really tired and sleepy, like excessively sleepy. Before I knew I had it, I was thinking, gee, I'm a lot more sleepy than I should be for someone my age and for someone who is sleeping pretty well at night. Yeah. So it was on a sleep study that I realised that that was something that I had. And it's quite common, and um, in a lot of times it's medically fixed with medication. Mine was fairly mild, and I've um, realised I was fairly low in iron. Iron can be something that when you've got um, low ferritin, low iron stores, mm-hmm. that um, that can be fixed with just say I take a supplement and things. I haven't mm-hmm. had a repeat sleep study, but I feel I'm jumping out of my skin a lot more. I don't feel tired anymore during the day. Mm-hmm. I don't feel sleepy. So they're the top three, and there's, you know, there's 80 sleep disorders apparently. Wow, yeah, it's a lot. There's 80 different ones, but they're the, they're the top three. All right, um, you've explained some of the effects of having a sleep disorder. Like, uh, are there other ways that it impacts on an individual's performance or in, on their daily life? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Obviously, the, the most of the, the, the common things are just yeah, feeling really tired and sleepy and difficulty concentrating, um, difficulty with other cognitive functions like you know memory and attention, etc. Um, yeah. Recall. Um, it's very difficult. We, we all know, especially young children, manifest this really clearly. Like this, we're very grumpy when we haven't had enough sleep. So really hard to regulate our mood um, when we. With, with, with a sleep disorder, we're getting inadequate sleep, or even just not even a sleep disorder. Like sometimes just having this chronic partial sleep deprivation, just throughout just throughout how busy we are, or um, you know, like our, our shifts or whatever we. What it, there's so many reasons sometimes of why we we do have shorter sleep, 
or, or poorer quality sleep is it with our worries. Um, it's very common to, for people who are sleep deprived to be feeling not only low in their mood but sometimes increased anxiety. We can feel that the, everything's a bit more overwhelming when we're tired. Um, it's there's a, a very uh, commonly it's been we've known for about ten years now and it's getting more and more research in this area that people who are chronically sleep deprived whether it's in for whatever reason are actually much more at risk to of having obesity or being overweight because there's a change in our hormonal profile when we're sleep deprived of having too much of the hormone that tells us to, to eat and not enough of the one that tells us we're full. So that's a, a very real risk as well. That not only, And then also there's this factor, we're just so tired that you're less likely, the first thing to go is your morning walk or your, your good intentions and, and you feel like you crave more sugars and you eat at the wrong time. And so there's a, there's a, bit, a real risk in that sense as well. Oh. So pa- painting a terrible picture. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's but, um, very that's interesting. Why, yeah, that's why, we, that's why, you know, we do these sleep awareness weeks, mm. I guess. It's just, I, yeah, like 10 years ago, people used to laugh when I was going to a sleep conference. Like, it was like, oh, what do you do? Wear your jammies and you sit around and sleep. And <laughs> what do you do at a sleep that conference? That sounds fantastic. <laughs> I know. Like, I wish it was like that. But it, and I think we know now we realise the importance of studying mm. sleep, taking it seriously, understanding yeah, what, are the, what are the risks and what are the benefits and, mm. how, and how can we all get a bit more of it. Absolutely. And um, um, how would you say that uh, sleep can influence a person's mental health? Well, it's, it's a, it's a, it has a bi-directional relationship that we sometimes, it certainly is, it puts our mental health at risk mm-hmm. and sometimes it's the cause of that and sometimes our mental health might be the thing that goes off the ball first and then that affects the sleep. Back in 1996 when I was first sort of in the sleep field or you know, studying things, we, were always, we always thought that um, anyone who had a sleep problem it was just a manifestation, really, of their, their of their existing anxiety or depression. And then there's some really key research looking at, hey, you know, sometimes the person actually developed their first their sleep going off the boil first was the thing that triggered their first ever episode of anxiety and or depression. Mm. So it has this what is known as a bi-directional relationship that it can it works both ways. So we know, and we so we sort of people would argue about that and talk about the importance of, and from about 2013. The literature or the, the recommendations are all don't worry about what came first. Too much. The client or the patient usually knows what came first. The, the, the trick is that we just need to treat both of them in their own right. Like we need to take it really seriously. Um, someone who's not sleeping well, we need to just we don't need to we need to just treat that in its own right. We uh, either medical. I'm a psychologist, so I would most. I think even I mean even medical people agree that the first line of treatment is non-drug strategies. Generally, yeah. generally, there's obviously there's a role for medication, particularly short-term or for intermittent use. But non-drug strategies around um, changing our thinking around sleep, reducing our worries around not sleeping, really prioritising it, learning yeah learning how to sleep better and have a big uptake of programs such as mindfulness-based stress reduction, understanding the importance of having techniques that we can learn to, to reduce our distress and our yeah. hyper, what we call hyper-arousal. Mm-hmm. Just think anyone who's had sleep problems would realise they're so tired, but they're wired. You get, yeah. you get in this state of so overtired, like almost there is a phenomenon of you're just too tired to sleep. You're so worn out and you're so hyped up and so worried that you just don't sleep. Mm-hmm. So addressing all of that and then also addressing, taking 
you know, the suicidality is it's, it's quite high. Like people can feel really desperate and really alone. So knowing sometimes we think, right, we might, well, obviously we've got to tackle that straight away if it's, if it's <clears throat> um, at, the, at the high end of, of, of really des- of desperate, um, high, high depression, etc. But sometimes it can be, like, we just we say, look, let's just get you some sleep. Let's work, let's have a, a targeted approach on, on getting you some, some better quality sleep. Um, sometimes it is, sometimes it's uh, very rarely, mind you, but sometimes it's as simple as changing your diet and your, and your caffeine and things like that. Occasionally I, come, I see someone in my clinical work who hadn't really realised that they were having 1.5 litres of Diet Coke a day, hadn't really re- hadn't realised it had gone up that high. Right. Mm. And, and that was changing that, the really simple thing of just cutting out some of the, or nearly all of that mm. and cutting people who were listening who might just have a, quite a high caffeine intake would think, well, let's just get mm. that down to be less, you know, have about two coffees a day maximum. I would say I would say one, but, you know, not to be too... <laughs> people who really love it just have one or two a day <laughs> uh, and make sure that it, they're done by lunchtime or so. We do say generally between even three and six hours should be fine. It doesn't stay in your body much longer than that. So people should be quite comfortable to... Um, to have some coffee just maybe early afternoon and, and then and then cease from then not to have because it will it generally does impact on the ability to have a, a proper you know adequate sleep that night so yeah it's it's i think um caffeine also has there's some quite frightening literature looking at that it's got a, a very increased um risk of it associated with anxiety particularly i was frightened to know that in five to twelve year olds i didn't even realize that how many five to twelve year olds were having any kind of caffeine but it, there there's really stark increases of associated anxiety with, with kids in that group so let alone the adults as well right now moira you've mentioned caffeine and stress are there any yeah. other um things in regarding lifestyle that can influence poor sleep yeah, absolutely. There's lots of things, and one of the things that comes to mind is um, our our technology use, right. and there's mm. been a, a boom, obviously, in the last ten years of, of the smartphone, which has not been so smart in in sort of the health effects. I mean, they're wonderful things, but people generally, especially the people who are having trouble with sleep, often they are the ones who are using their phone or, or having some kind of handheld device uh, very close bedtime or in fact in in bed as well so a very important strategy can be to be aware of the importance of reducing your technology use maybe just at least an hour we'd say an hour to two but even if it was an hour before bed just just getting dock, docking it all charging it all out of the bedroom like you did only seven years ago or ten not many you know ten years ago the smartphone didn't exist so no one listening um it's only been this decade that they've been doing that as well. That all of us, all of us are guilty of it. I know that I, I certainly am. Um, and it's the first thing. I, if I if my sleep does go off a bit, I think right, <laughs> I need to go back to first principles around that. Yeah, that's really good. And yeah. um, do, do you think that sleep or do sleep problems contribute to mental health issues, or would you say it's the other way around, or is it really a bit of both? It's definitely a bit of both. I would I would say increasingly we're much more aware of the risk of poor sleep on on mental health outcomes whereas you know like you know 20 years ago we, we i didn't really think of it in that way so definitely 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. moira do you think the general public underestimate the importance of good sleep in their daily lives I, I think so i think um well i like to think that the messages now are getting out there um i think it's a bit like exercise and food though i think generally be no one in the street that would 
not know the importance of their physical fitness and, and food, and yet, though, it doesn't necessarily translate into action. And I think we're in that state. Maybe when we first started the health, Sleep Health Foundation, it was all around getting the messages out and people were underestimating the importance of sleep. I, I think I think that still is an underestimation, but I think generally most people do get the message now that it's important. I think the thing remaining now is just how people say, well, what do I do about it? I feel... I feel trapped with my lifestyle mm-hmm. um, and my Netflix, or you know, my my watching. There's too many too many distractions at night, um, and also people are working very hard. Um, and then also there's this, this increase in um, people just just being so hyper aroused and, and knowing they need to sleep but can't necessarily switch off their their yeah. brain. Yeah, yeah. So, so it, on, on that yeah. note, then, how would someone go about improving their sleep? Well. Taking, take, knowing that it's going to take a bit of time, like it would be losing weight or increasing your fitness, that it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of sort of, you know, a process. Yeah. So understanding that and getting some professional support, like going to either, you know, some kind of trusted health professional or looking at the Sleep House Foundation or Beyond Blue, various people that have a lot of information on sleep and what okay. to do. We have some good fact sheets. So it's, we, it's sleephealthfoundation.org.au. Um <clears throat> Looking at, um, yeah, look, all those changes in what we think of talking about caffeine, your lifestyle with your devices, like turning things off like that, making sure that you keep your other, you keep your stress management as low as, or, you know, managing you know, those sort of stresses, which is a, obviously sometimes that takes a, that mm-hmm. takes a, probably the most of it. Um, but, you know, Dalek, sometimes, um, interestingly, the sort of the sleep chapters, if you, or we're talking to a group of psychologists or GPs, Sometimes one of the best things, we're often talking to people around delegation of, of being assertive and also delegation of tasks and things like that can actually help enormously with people's sleep, just understanding those, those boundaries. Sometimes the boundaries are just being blurred, that people just, it's just too, basically just too busy and just too stressed. So being able to identify those sorts of things. Um, okay. Well, you yeah. did mention the GP. So what does going to a sleep physician or even a practitioner involve? Like how, how can that assist in the process of improving sleep? Well, the GP can be someone who can just therefore do a referral to to whatever. They can have a, a good sense, a history taking, see what's going on with the person's sleep yeah. and then look at whether they need to go have their t- sleep tested in any kind of formal setting. And often these sleep studies can be done in that person's home these days. It doesn't have to be a hospital stay. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. So the GP would have all that information. And then also it had information on who to send them to if they wanted to, under the auspices of a mental health care plan, um, go and have some sessions with a, a qualified person who knows about how to... All these sort of things I'm talking about comes under the heading of CBTI. Okay. known as Cognitive Behavioural Therapy for Insomnia. Oh, excellent. Yeah, so that's, the, that's the gold standard so far, and then looking at yeah. mindfulness-based things as well. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, Moira, if people want to get involved with Sleep Awareness Week or they want to find out any more information, um, where where could they find this, please? Um, please go to our website, which is the Sleep Health Foundation, sleep, which I said before, sleephealthfoundation.org.au. Um, also the Australasian Sleep Association, which is the ASA, they have lots of information as well on their website. And hopefully just like this, like the, you know, the me- we've done media releases, so there's lo- there'll be lots of information on TV during Sleep Awareness Week. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that should, that should do it, <laughs> get, get a way to get you further information.
Well, thank you ever so much, Moira. We've found that absolutely fascinating. And uh, I hope it's, um, of, I'm sure it will be of good value to our listeners. Yeah, I hope so. I, yeah, wish you, thanks so much for your interest in it. Thank and, you, Moira. Um, wish you well with your sleeping and your listeners too. Thank you ever so much. <laughs> Thank you to Maura for coming on the show today and sharing your knowledge with our listeners. You can find more of our shows at our website, brainwaves.org.au or on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au or on iTunes. Feel free to send us feedback or suggestions for shows via email at brainwaves at Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Wednesday at 5pm for another episode of Brainwaves on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.